0: in the 1930s one of the most famous sculptures in the world was found in italy it's a marble statue of a naked guy young about six foot six with a six pack like the hills of tuscany if you saw this guy riding a scooter in rome you might be like get some clothes and get in the car He's the perfect guy, supposedly. Maybe a little too perfect. Because he was designed more than 2,000 years ago, according to an obscure mathematical formula of proportions. No one actually looks like this, right? Which is kind of the point. He's meant to be an ideal. The sculpture is now at the Minneapolis Institute of Art. It's called the Deriferis, which in Latin means the spear bearer. Because he used to be holding a spear. But he doesn't have a spear anymore, or his left arm, or part of his nose, or part of his fingers, or his private parts, like, at all. And here's something else he's missing. His color. I mean, we don't know for sure what he looked like when he was first presented to the world so long ago in Rome. But we can assume he wasn't totally white like he is now. We can assume he was painted. He might have been entirely painted. He was certainly at least partly painted. His eyes, probably. His eyebrows, his lips, his hair, his nipples, his privates. Because in ancient Rome and Greece, most statues and buildings were really colorful. Let that sink in. The way almost everyone today thinks of the ancient Greek and Roman world as this white place, full of white people, is totally wrong. It may be the most wrong thing, the greatest misperception in art history. This is The Object, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Today, the story of a statue and its coating of many colors. A deep dive into how we inherited this myth of whiteness in classical culture, and why it can be really dangerous. But first, a bit of housekeeping. In the last episode, Flying Too Close to the Sun, about the inspiration behind Kehinda Wiley's painting, The Father of Aviation, I conflated the Wright brothers' hometown with the site of their first flight and said, Dayton, North Carolina. In fact, the brothers were from Dayton, Ohio, of course. I'm Tim Gehring. On with the show. A few years ago, Sarah Bond was playing a video game and got really ticked off. Sarah is an associate professor of history at the University of Iowa, And she was playing a game called Rise, Son of Rome, which is set in, well, Rome, ancient Rome. And all the main characters were white. And the city was decorated with all-white statues. It depicted a white world in almost every way, which, as Professor Bond knew, is garbage. First of all, the Greeks and Romans painted lots of things, in really bright, often primary colors. Their statues, their buildings, their columns, the capitals on the columns, everything but their togas. The ancient world was like Legoland. And as far as the population, the Roman world included places like Mauritania and Ethiopia, where we're certainly aware that people of color live today. So Sarah, the professor, was playing this game with Hannah Skates Kettler who is a person of color and a digital humanities librarian at the University of Iowa and they were like, one how does this misperception keep happening and two no wonder people of color don't see themselves in the classical world whether in video games or TV or movies because we don't allow them to the people who create these media have absorbed a complete and total myth. So let's go way back. The ancient Greeks make a lot of statues, right? Like thousands and thousands of statues. And the best sculptures, for the most part, they make out of bronze. Because bronze is strong but malleable. It's great for showing really subtle details. And when it's fresh, it kind of looks like really tan skin. And the ancient Greeks are all about really tan, really buff dudes. And they paint them, too, these bronzes. The eyes, the hair, upstairs and downstairs. But most of these bronze statues don't last. They get melted down for weapons or for money. You know, the important things. The Greeks made thousands upon thousands of bronze sculptures... And only about 200 at most survive. What really survives, though, are the Roman copies of these Greek bronzes. The Romans copy a lot of famous Greek statues, usually carving them out of marble, which is what the Doriferous is a marble copy of a Greek bronze. But these copies, too, get lost over time, buried by dirt and volcanoes and war. And then, Eventually, people start digging these statues up in Italy, centuries later. And whatever pigment is left on them mostly falls off. Or is scrubbed off. Because people think it looks kind of dingy. Suddenly, the ancient world looks a lot different than it did in reality. It looks, well, white. Now, As Professor Sarah would be the first to tell you, this isn't some grand conspiracy at the time. The people examining these statues realize they had been painted. There's enough paint left on the marble that you get the idea. But eventually, starting around the Renaissance, a preference develops. People, especially artists, decide they like the pure white marble. In fact, a whole fantasy is invented that the Greeks had left their buildings and sculptures bare as a kind of statement, an artistic statement of their superior rationality. White is beautiful because it's sophisticated. It's civility. Color is the other. Now, there's a very influential guy who's pushing this fantasy of whiteness. The so-called father of art history, Johann Winckelmann, a German. He's about 30 and starting to become interested in art when the buried city of Pompeii is rediscovered in Italy in 1748. Ten years later, Winckelmann starts making trips to Pompeii. It's an ancient Roman city that's really well-preserved, right? And he sees the color that's still there. And he totally explains it away. He says this one really colorful statue is actually not Roman. It's Etruscan. A more ancient culture in Italy. So, you know. It's the other. Winkleman ends up doing a lot to promote proper archaeology and... He's the first person to really explain the development of art. He's still the foundation of a lot of art history today. But he also begins saying things like, the whiter the body is, the more beautiful it is. And he helps perpetuate this fantasy behind it, comparing the, quote, noble simplicity of Greek masterpieces to the depths of the ocean where the water remains calm and composed even as the surface rages. Whiteness is deep, man. When the writer Goethe compares Winkleman to Christopher Columbus, he's more right than he knew. Columbus imagined he had arrived in India. Winkleman imagines he knows ancient Greece. They were both, uh, wrong... Winkleman never bothers to actually go to Greece, and eventually he runs out of time. He goes to see the Empress of Austria in Vienna. When he's on his way back to Rome, he stays at a hotel and is murdered by an unemployed cook, a man who likely had been his lover for the past few days. And that's how it ends for him, strangled and stabbed to death at age 50. So now Winkelmann is dead, but his influence only grows more powerful, especially in Germany, his homeland. Intellectuals really latch onto his statements like, good taste, which is spreading more and more throughout the world, first started to develop in the climate of Greece. And the only path for us to become great is the imitation of the ancients. The writer Goethe comes up with this whole color theory, The really his favorite color is no color. Only savage nations, he says, uneducated people and children, have a great predilection for vivid colors. The neoclassical movement gets underway too, and suddenly sculptors and architects are making all these lily-white statues and bank buildings and courthouses. Because white is civility. And this goes on for centuries, right? Till finally, we arrive in the 1930s in Germany. And neoclassical architecture is the preferred style of the Third Reich. Creating the perfect man, like the deriferous, is taken to its literal extremes. Eugenics, the ranking of races, with white people at the top. You can see where this is going. Now, remember Sarah Bond, the professor playing the historically inaccurate video game? She began to notice that this ignorance about race and color in the classical world was actually being weaponized by today's white supremacists. So... She wrote essays for Forbes and Hyperallergic, the online art magazine, noting that some white supremacists were adopting classical or neoclassical symbols like torches and eagles and white marble sculptures, claiming a lineage to the supposedly white and superior classical world. She pointed out what they got wrong, including the fact that the Greeks and Romans did not even define people as white. They did not share this racial ideology. You can imagine the response. In fact, you'll have to, because this is a family show. So why are so many people still attached to this idea of the white marble statue? Sarah says museums could do a better job of informing people, and of course they could. They could have special iPad displays or color projections, some way to show what these statues were intended to look like. Or they could just say something on the label, which is rarely the case. Because the labels are 40 to 50 years old and they don't reflect new research, the curators are hesitant to speculate if there isn't any pigment left on the statue. But saying nothing may be worse. A few years ago, a show of colorized copies of ancient statues started touring the world, recreating as best as anyone could figure how they used to look. The polychromy, as academics call it, the decorating of buildings and sculpture with a variety of colors. People were like, uh, no. No way were the Greeks and Romans this outrageous. But they were. Why is that so hard to believe? This is ancient Greece after all, with the wine and the poetry and the poetry about wine. I mean, they invented the male beauty contest, okay? And the yo-yo. Sarah reports that a new video game called Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which came out last year, has incorporated Greek-style polychromy. And, surprise, surprise, in the midst of this colorful sword and sandal story, color doesn't look strange. It looks real. This has been the Object Podcast, produced by the Minneapolis Institute of Art. Find us on the web at artsmia.org. Leave us a review at Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you.